Welcome to Size Eyes, the life of a long-term multitasker. This is the Fully Content series, where content is king, but its wisdom is the kingdom. Where learning is simultaneously a convergent and divergent experience. Where the threads of all the content consumed connect to form a mesmerizing web of infinite understanding. This series explores my unique insights, learnings, and connections with books, podcasts, articles, documentaries, and any other forms of content that I consume. Ultimately though, all this knowledge is only a rumor until it is in the muscle. And welcome back to another episode. Here, this episode we're gonna be talking about Working Backwards, which is a book written by Colin Breyer and Bill Carr with the subtitle Insights, Stories, and Secrets from Inside Amazon. So they had been working at Amazon for many years, one of whom was a very close associate and um, or kind of like a chief of staff to Jeff Bezos for many, many years. And then the other person was a high up on the tech and product side at Amazon for many years as well. And so I'm going to be taking a deep dive into this book, which I read, and I gave it a five stars. It's pretty much, you know, eight and a half, nine out of ten. And it really talks about business, communication, creativity, leadership, marketing, technology, systems, everything. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about the book itself, what was in it, but actually more on the how I've applied it into my own life at work and personally. And so one of the cool things that they mention is... The, the cons- their compensation structure at work, right? I'm just gonna <laughs> go right into one of the main concepts here of their, their compensation structure, their hiring process, right? It's their structure really reinforces long-term thinking. When you have companies that have bonuses and KPIs that, are, that seem like they're going in the right direction, but then when you actually look at it, they're incentivizing either conflicting things or, conf- or incentivizing short-term thinking versus long-term thinking. And so when you apply this to systems thinking, you, you're in a place where it's a catch-22. As a manager, if you're being responsible for a couple of important KPIs that are supposed to be long-term, but really they're short-term, right? Uh, Like quarterly earnings, right? You're going to be doing everything that you can to make yourself look good on that quarterly earnings call, whatever the revenue numbers of your team is or how many features or bugs you've created or fixed, stuff like that, right? But then how much of it is really focus on the long-term thinking. So really providing a structure and not just having disparate parts of a system of a, a organizational operating system that has components of long-term thinking, but really how do they all mesh together? How do they go together so that, yes, it really actually does make sense when you think about it. 
that it reinforces long-term thinking. Um, another cool thing that they talk about is the hiring process. So they go through, uh, they have something called bar raisers, which are essentially people who are actual employees of the company, but still have, you know, they're only one of, there's only a select few of bar raisers, and you actually have to be selected by a bar raiser to be a bar raiser. And so essentially what it is, is like a person who has kind of like a final say in the hiring process, who's independent of the team. And so they'll kind of see how that candidate is going through the process and be kind of like the final decision. And it can't be anyone who, on the team who's going through the interview process or being uh, interviewing the candidate itself. And so I'm not going to go into detail what they do because you know, we can read the book for that. But having something separate, having a system, having a piece of the system that, has, that emphasizes whatever values that the company espouses and really building it in, then it just really makes it easy to implement that system. And so highly recommend looking into the bar raisers piece of being Amazonian. A quote that I saw and read and noted down was, organizational culture comes about in one of two ways. It's either decisively defined, nurtured, and protected from the inception of the organization, or more typically, it comes about haphazardly as a collective sum of the beliefs, experiences, and behaviors of those on the team. Either way, you will have a culture, for better or worse. So really what that's saying for me is, yeah, we're gonna, there's gonna be a culture, regardless of if you say there's a culture or not, and it's the beliefs, the values, etc., that are not necessarily on the company mission, purpose, values, place, right? It's not on that level. It's on the identity of the individual employees who are there, right? How does, what are the values of the team that you're working on? That's more important, I would say, than the values of the organization because then if you have the values of the team are aligned, then you will achieve what you want to achieve, right? And so, but then the next level of that, of really having a collective, a, a smoothly operating organization then, is to have the values that you have as a company values, those like mission purpose val values, those values also be the values that are distilled down from the highest level from the CEO down to the newest employee that's just joined the team from college. So that level of alignment between the values of the highest level and the lowest level, when you have alignment of those values, when you hire according to your process, for them it's the bar raisers. When you hire those people, those traits that you look for, you can be more intentional about looking for those traits and then being involved in that system, being implemented into that system just becomes that much more easier. So there's a lot of really good things in this book. I don't know if I can go through all of them, but or even like all my thoughts on it. But one thing that I really liked was I think I've I had known that they do something called 
or that they don't they have meetings where they don't talk for the first X minutes of the meeting and so I just imagined I had thought going in to reading the book that it was just like every meeting that do this but it's not every meeting it's it was only meetings that had it was on a I believe a quarterly level where they had high ups kind of give reports slash what they wanted to achieve for the next quarter. So these were narrative-based six-pagers, as like six-page memos, as they were called. And so they're, it's not just updates, but it's writing a story, it's writing a narrative. And so what writing a story allows you to do compared to writing bullet points is it forces you to create a story. It forces you to coherently and cogently organize your thoughts into a way to persuade other people and in the process of doing so you actually persuade yourself and you may come across more insightful ideas than you had if you had just written out bullet points or updates and so doing this is really something that I want to get into and I actually have done which I'll get into in a little bit later but really want to bring this to to you laundry and laundry lab the other thing that they do similar to that is whenever they have a big product that they want to release a lot of companies a lot of organizations us included will start from we may say that we want to work backwards and think about the customer in mind but again it's an extra barrier that we have to overcome to think as the customer right so how do we build it into the system that we are already thinking like the customer that it's just natural to think like the customer that it's a habit to think like the customer so what Amazon does is for these products they write a press release not at the end not at when they are releasing the product like you would but actually at the beginning before any funding has been allocated to any building of the product and so what that means is you condense down the press release into one to two pages right and you only focus on the key points that are going to be actually in the press release when you actually go live with the product in six months and 12 months and three years whatever time frame we're talking about but it distills down into what are the you know two or three main pieces that the customers are going to be interested in that provide value to them how much is it going to cost what questions are they going to have right so they kind of combine the PR and then they the second section of that is an FAQ section with both external facing so any questions that customers may have as well as internal ones for where will we get funding or how how many resources do we need um, etc so internal questions to help spark discussion and guide discussion for the teams that will be allocating resources or building the actual product itself as well as external questions that customers that people the audience reading those press releases may have and so really writing this from and then they go through many drafts of this they go through five six ten twelve drafts of this before it's presented working with their managers working with the other team members that they have and so really this PR FAQ and the six-page memo are really powerful ways to work backwards to think about the customer to really build a story 
And so, kind of how this relates, there's a few other things that I may get to, but I'll kind of dig into how it's impacted me and how I'm trying to take the learnings from this book and implement it in my organization. And so, I've been kind of working on an organizational operating system, which if you've been listening to the 150 year plan series, I'll be going into detail on that as well. And I have a little bit previously. And so, you know, I think I mentioned, I've dropped the words of system or organizational operating system or operating system, some combination of that in this episode and other episodes and throughout my content generally. And so, after reading this book, while reading this book, I took, I took so many notes on how what Amazon does can be applied to what we do and taking it to the next level. One instance of this is they talk about input KPIs where it's, you know, you're looking for an input KPI and an output KPI. Because um, a lot of companies will be like taking a look at output KPIs like revenue or monthly active users or things that maybe shareholders will want to be interested in to give a pulse for the business. But really it's the input KPIs that have that impact those output KPIs. It's the, it's the le- leading indicators versus the lagging indicators. That is what Amazon focuses on. And when you focus on those input KPIs, the output KPIs will naturally go in the direction that you want it to. It's just a matter of focusing on those input KPIs. And it's kind of like habits, right? This is one of my points here. It's like habits are leading indicators. We usually think of actions as, okay, how do I I want to change my actions? How do I want to start working out? How do I want to start eating healthier all these things but really those are the lagging indicators our actions are the lagging indicators our thoughts emotions feelings our habits are really the leading indicators because over time if we just improve by one percent a day if we just do if we just read for 10 minutes a day that's a habit that we start that we cultivate and we grow that habit and then before you know it, you've read a book, or you've read many books, or you've listened to many podcasts, or you've taken many courses, or you've eaten so healthy that you it's just part of your identity, right? And it's part of those values, part of your culture that I talked about at the start of this, where it's not, you don't even have to think about, oh, what's my culture gonna be? No, it's already there. You don't have to come in, you don't have to have a consulting firm come in and, uh, hey, these are the values and these are going to be how we operate. No, it's just going to be naturally how people operate. And if there's a culture, everyone who's hired into that culture will add value, yes, but also have an understanding of this is the how the organization or my team operates with which values that they operate under and to an extent fit in, and to an extent distinguish themselves and be a catalyst for growth of the team and of the organization. And so I really view these habits and really the thoughts that we have as these leading indicators of our own lives. And so then how do we build these habits, not only individually, but then in an organization? 
right? So they had the concept of input KPIs and output KPIs. I'm in my building of an organizational operating system, I took it to the next level, right? Input and output KPIs are only two types of KPIs. When I built my organizational operating system for 2U, there are five types of KPIs. Now that may seem like overkill, but it's, it, I think it encompasses every type of metric, every type of thing that we'd want to track as an organization, as a function, as any part of the system, as any part of the company. And right, so input KPIs, output KPIs are only one thing. But then there's what I call execution KPIs, which are uh, for if you're moving any projects along, right, what is the burn down for that sprint or for the project? How many of the tasks that you wanted to complete have you completed com projected versus actual? Right, what are the milestones? How many of, you, of those have you completed? Has the team completed? Do we need to readjust anything? So those are execution KPIs. Then I, then I have what I call identity KPIs. And these are things that are within our identity as an organization. Things like, what is our organizational focus? Do we say what we want to, do we do what we said we were going to do without distraction? Things like communication, how well is our communication in a meeting setting, in a Slack setting, in a, just a casual conversational setting, in email, etc. right? Things like that, those are part of our identity. And then finally, I have what I call operating system KPIs. Things like how, how well uh, one characteristic of that is alignment. How aligned is what we want to achieve? How, how aligned is the system from top to bottom? What is the, how optimized is the individual system on its own? How well integrated is it with other parts of this overarching system? And so these operating system KPIs are really the base level of how an organization is and once you we have an awareness of this then we can start addressing them right and so th that's one of the things that I took from this book of all right these are the input KPIs there's the output KPIs but then there's this next level that I want to integrate into the 2U operating system and create it in there so that we can achieve anything beyond our wildest imaginations. So, I'm just kind of scrolling through right now. Um, yeah, so there's a, I mean, kind of related to KPIs, there's a quote by Charlie Bell. I think he was an employee at Amazon where he said that when you encounter a problem, the probability you're actually looking at the actual root cause of the problem in the initial 24 hours is pretty close to zero. Because it turns out behind every issue, there's a very interesting story. And so I think that just tells me that we need to take time to understand the problem. Because lots of times we'll I think I've heard even in my organization that, hey, sure, if there's a problem, okay, 
but come to the table with a solution. Like, what are you going to do to help solve that, right? Don't just bring it up, but do you have a recommendation? And that type of thinking is healthy up to an extent. But if we don't take the proper amount of time to actually look at the problem, to take a look at what are the underlying factors, the actual root causes that Charlie Bell is talking about in this quote, then you won't be able to provide a proper and the most effective, efficient, optimized solution for that issue, right? So something that I do on my own during my yearly planning is a SWOT analysis. And a lot of you may have heard of a SWOT analysis of strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Strengths and weaknesses being something of an internal factors, and then opportunities and threats being external factors, right? And so normally you see a SWOT analysis as a two-by-two two matrix with four boxes, but with, and I've talked about this before in one of my episodes with uh, quarterly planning, but with what I do, it juxtaposes each layer or each combination of strengths, weeks, weak strengths and weaknesses on one side and then opportunities and threats on the other side. And so then you have a four-by-four four matrix with you know what are the strengths what is the overlap of strengths and opportunities what about strengths and threats and then weaknesses and opportunities weaknesses and threats so then you can have a strategy for each of those different things so you can really lean into what are your strengths and what are the opportunities that are out there externally and really hone in on those what are the threats and the opportunity what uh, what are the threats and the weaknesses that you have that you can improve on and the other two combinations as well and so all that to say there's no solutions being provided in there, right? But I'm just laying out, I'm creating a framework to understand, there's no problem there, but to understand what the underlying issues or underlying things are, right? My strengths and weaknesses, those are the underlying internal factors. What are the opportunities and threats? Those are the underlying external things. And so then when you actually see that in that framework, what you have to do, how you have to think, will naturally surface, will naturally arise, and the solution that you're looking for will naturally crystallize. However, that may not have crystallized if you only take a look at the problem initially and then try to find a solution one-to-one, -one, right? You gotta think a little bit more creatively. Um, so yeah, I have a lot of notes here. I don't know how much more I want to go into it. But, I, you know, this is just a quick thought. But one question that I had for myself and is, while I was reading this book, was how much of an organization's bandwidth is spent putting people in position to succeed versus the actual execution of that work? Right? We have so many managers who manage projects, manage people, etc. But how, many, how much of that organization's bandwidth, let's say there's 50 people in the company, a person has 40 hours a week, that's 2,000 hours you know, per week of bandwidth, for example, if it's an eight-hour work week, or a, I guess 40-hour work week, um, eight-hour work day, I should say. And so, like, how much of that is spent putting people in position to succeed versus the actual execution of work to achieve what the company's mission is. 
because I think we spend a lot of time trying to put people in position to succeed, and that should be the I think really the job of the really the high like those managers, yes. But then I think you know we spend probably too much time, too much time ineffectively, I should say, trying to put people in position to succeed. Because it's we're running in a hamster wheel. It's it's very. Um, it's the same issues and problems will arise, whether it's a good manager or a bad manager. Because if we should really be not focusing on those, uh, yes, we should be focusing on the people, obviously, but focusing on the underlying systems so that anyone who comes in that, in that position can be put up, can be successful. Right. So instead of putting people in position to succeed, what if we create systems so that any person can succeed in that position? Hmm. That's a new answer right now that I just came up with. Um, uh, just while I was writing my two UOS, right? I think one of the points of feedback that I have for some people is. We always want to simplify things, especially if you're at the top of an organization or um, want to think uh, with, if you're a visionary, you always want to think, all right, what's the simplest way I can achieve this task or this best way I can communicate what I want to communicate, right? What's the simplest way I can describe what I want to describe and articulate? But for me, I think what I've found by doing the 2U operating system and reading this book, right, is since they do that six-page memo, right, it's they go through this intensive process, many, many drafts, like I said, to come up with this final product of just a press release or a six-page memo. And then they start working on it rather than taking so much time or not taking enough time at the beginning to then have that debt be paid off, be uh, paid later, right? When the product is alive, for example, in customers' hands, and then it's a bad customer experience, right? Do that work up front. And so for me, instead of simplifying initially, right, my thought process has now been, especially of an idea, is to not just go from the idea to how do I make it the simplest as possible, right? That's like short to short. I want to take it from short to long to short. So what that means is the first draft is short in terms of what ideas that I want to get on, get out and brainstorm and just like bullet these points, right? That, those are short ideas. And, and then when I do research, when I really dig in, think about it, right? This is what happened when I was, so like, if you followed my organizational operating system so far and my blog, I've been I had been posting about different aspects that really built up to the organizational operating system on my blog for about two two three weeks. All my posts were along these lines of how does an organization operate, and so those were really the short aspects of it. And then I really dug in and what really became an 80-85 page document of the 2U operating system, that was the long thing, right? But then by going deep, I can really understand each specific aspect of it. I can go from the clouds to the dirt, 
and then back up to the clouds because then I have I would have discovered something new by going deep that I would not have discovered if I was just at the cloud level the entire time. So then now I'm trying to create a presentation, right, which will then force me, it's a framework to force me to describe things articulately or articulate well in a short manner, in a few words, in pictures, in diagrams, in charts, etc. Right? But I don't I won't have the full impact of those succinct ways to communicate without having gone deeper initially. Right? So going from short to long to short is I think a very ideal way to understand a concept or an idea compared to just being at the cloud level short to short the entire time. Um, yeah, so I think that is all that I'm going to talk about today. I really highly recommend reading this book. The first section was really critical for me as that really started my OOS, I'm just going to call it Organizational Operating System, writing those blog posts out that then turn into this long document and then it's going to turn into a presentation and hopefully implementation. And so I really highly recommend you read this book and all my notes for the book are online obviously within the book vaults through my website. And so if you want to take a look more of at, the, uh, at my notes as well as the book itself, look online at my website and then obviously you want to buy the book. Um, I finally enough, I bought the book at a Barnes and Noble and not on Amazon. And I finished the book at the Barnes & Noble as well. So a little tug-in-cheek humor there. But anyways, hopefully you enjoyed this a little bit longer episode. But hopefully there was value in how not only Amazon thinks, but how I have created my own insights from the way that book was written and what the content was in that book. So thank you for listening to another episode of Size Eyes and the Fully Content series. I will see you all next time.